Well, good morning, Frontline family. Good morning, church. Welcome to one and all watching online today. I pray that you're all doing well, that you are nice and warm on this chilly Sunday morning, but more importantly, that you are ready for the life-changing Word of God today. Today is as good a day as any to lift up the name of Jesus and to bring Him the honor and glory He deserves. And we count it a privilege to set this time aside for Him today. Church, in this season that we find ourselves in, we just acknowledge His goodness, His faithfulness, His provision, and His protection. And we declare today that God is still in control. He is still on the throne, and nothing happens without His permission. So we just put all of our trust in Him today. Come, let's pray together. Lord God, it is our privilege to gather as your church today and commit this time to you. As we study your word this morning, we ask that you would sharpen the focus of our minds so that we would fully commit this time to your living and to your breathing word. It is our desire as your church to represent you the way you deserve. So show us today, Lord, what this word means for our lives individually and for this body of Christ especially in the time and the season we find ourselves in. Lord, your word says that everything in this life will pass away. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So Lord, let your word be an enduring word this morning that brings everlasting fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, family, it's so good to be with you this morning. And in our time together today, we continue in our series on the book of Acts. Church, in order to face the future, sometimes we've got to look backward to find out what God has done, to see what God wants to do now. And today we come to a very interesting passage of Scripture. Most of the time we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, but we're going to get a running start So we're going to go to Acts chapter 4 and read about the last 7 verses of Acts chapter 4 and then about the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5 if you want to get your Bibles ready. As we know from our study thus far on the book of Acts, the early church at this point was exploding into action. God was blessing them, signs, wonders and miracles were following them. There was an earth shaking, mountain moving, devil defying and soul saving movement of God taking place that the enemy couldn't stop. They were operating in this boldness that we spoke about last week. This boldness that gave them the courage to express God's word, to extend God's hand and to exalt the Son of God. And even though they were being threatened not to do this. And let me tell you church, the devil was not happy with that. You see, the devil tried to stop them with intimidation, but that didn't stop them. Then he tried to stop them with persecution, but that didn't stop them either. In fact, what it literally did was to bring the church to their knees. And the more they were opposed by the forces of darkness, the more the church grew, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were being added into the kingdom. And so the devil said to himself, well, if I can't conquer them, I will corrupt them. And so he tried a new tactic. 
rather than attacking from without, he tried to find someone inside the church. And well, he found a man and a woman by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And he got them to play the hypocrite. He got them to tell a severe lie, and it was an, an attack on the growth, the stability, and the unity of the early church. However, they were so led by the Spirit of God that it didn't stop them. It only increased their boldness and their effectiveness. And you know, that is one of the thrilling things about the book of Acts. Everything that the devil does in the book of Acts just seems to come back on the devil's head. As somebody once said, God cuts the devil's head off with a sword that the devil himself has sharpened. And we're going to continually see that happen in the book of Acts. But right now, let's dive into our passage for this morning. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they were distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who also was named Barnabas, excuse me, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then shifting over to chapter 5, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And you would think that's enough of a warning for one church service, but the story doesn't end there. Verse 7 says, Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. What a powerful warning to the early church. 
Now, there are a couple of comparisons that I want to draw out from this passage today. There are a few things I want to show you, but before we do that, I want to throw something out at you. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen the Lord adding to the church, right? It says in Acts chapter 2 that the Lord added to the church daily those who have been saved. The Lord has been adding so far. We've also seen the Lord multiply. In Acts chapter 4 verse 4, it says 5,000 more were added to those who were initially saved on the day of Pentecost. So we go from adding to the Lord multiplying. And as we just read, the Lord performs now another math function, subtraction. He subtracts two people from his church. Remember, Jesus said that he would build his church. And the Lord does add and the Lord does multiply and the Lord does subtract. But let me tell you something, church. There's one thing that the Lord never does. He never divides his church. He never divides a church. The enemy working through people will do that. But God never does. He'll add, he'll multiply, and yes, he will subtract. And God takes great exception to anyone who tries to divide his church by allowing themselves to become conduits for the enemy that will bring an attack on the growth, the stability, and the unity of his church. This should remain a powerful warning for all Christians today. This passage of scripture that we just read is an, a great example of how we should and should not live the Christian life. It's the difference between being fully sold out for God and being, well, partially sold out. Let me explain as we go a bit deeper. Church, two of the positive effects of being fully sold out and believing in Jesus are that the heart is loosened or that the heart is set free in relationship to the things of this world and it is tightened in its relationship to God firstly and then to people. We see this in verse 32. Let's, let's look at that. Now the multitude of those who believed, just pause there for a moment and underline the word believed this word believe church is the key believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord trusting him for all that you need being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus that's the key that's the root of what's happening in this story and everything good comes from that and this authentic believing in Jesus has two effects it says now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. There you see the first effect. Believing in Jesus tightens the heart's relationship to people, especially Christians. When you become united to Jesus by faith, you become united to people by love. Then comes the other effect as we read on. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and here it is, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So there's the second effect of trusting in Jesus. First, the heart is tightened in its relationship to people, and second, the heart is loosened in its relationship to things. Church, this is really important. 
Faith in Christ creates a bond of love to God and to people and cuts the bond of love to things. Now, knowing that Luke wrote the book of Acts, if you read Luke's gospel, you'll see that this is one of his main burdens. He wants us Christians to be free from the love of things and he wants us firm in our love for people. And he does not believe that you can have both at the same time. Because if your heart is united in love to people, then you will hold loose to things. Because things will have value only as a means of loving people. That's really what the story is all about. It's a snapshot of a community of people whose hearts have been utterly revolutionized by believing in Jesus. They found themselves freely caring about people and freely selling land and houses and giving the money to the church for distribution to those with special needs. Jesus had said in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34, He said to His followers, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is exactly what they were doing in Acts chapter 4. And it was not because they had to do it in order to earn God's favor or abide by certain church rules. It was because they heard the word of their master and they believed. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And church, we all need to hear what I'm about to say. Faith in the promises of God's fatherly care, God's provision, God's protection produces freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, and therefore freedom from things. And it produces a freedom for people and a freedom for love. That's what faith in Jesus does. It brings freedom in our lives, even in the most desperate seasons of our lives. Because we believe in what our Master said, and we believe that our Master is still in control. And that makes us free. He whom the Son set free is, is free indeed. In Acts chapter 5 verse 4, Luke stresses the freedom of this liberty from things and this love for people. Ananias had sold a field and, and brought part of the proceeds to the apostles and said that he brought it all. But he lied. And Peter, knowing this, being filled with the Holy Spirit, says to him, Why are you acting as if this was some external pressure to make you do this. Why are you acting as if this were not a matter of freedom? Why has Satan filled your heart with this deception? And he basically tells Ananias that there is no such constraint in the generosity he sees happening around him in the church. These people are acting out of freedom. And you see, church, that's what true faith means. An authentic change of where your heart is so that your acts of love and your acts of service are free. They are what you want to do, not what you feel coerced to do. Peter says in verse 4, While it remained, was it not your own? 
In other words, there aren't any church rules here that say you have to sell your property and that is not yours anymore. Ananias, if people around you are saying my possessions are not mine anymore, this is not because they have to say this. This is because they want to say this. They have been changed from the inside out by trusting in Jesus. They are free. Then he goes on, he says, And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? In other words, nobody coerced you to bring any of your money in here. If your heart doesn't tell you to bring it, don't bring it. And what Luke is describing for us here in the story, and something that we all need to grab a hold of, is the radically freeing effect of true faith in Jesus. Because you see, Christianity is not a matter of external conformity to religious expectations. It is a matter of internal liberty. It's not a matter of force and law. It is a matter of freedom and love. Being a Christian means being changed from the inside out so that you fall in love with God and with people and you fall out of love with the things of this world. So church, if this matter was so important to God that He set such a strong example by subtracting people from His church, how do we make sure that as Christians today we don't fall into the same trap? How do we make sure that we are not Christians that are operating in hypocrisy, but rather that we are authentic Christians who are radically transformed from the inside out into freedom even when the world around us is collapsing? And what Luke does to make this real for us is to give us two living examples. Barnabas, a man who really experiences on the inside the freedom of faith in Christ. And Ananias and Sapphira, a man and a woman who tried to fake it on the outside when it's not really there. Barnabas is mentioned briefly in Acts chapter 4 verse 36 to 37. It says his name is actually Joseph. But they obviously gave him a nickname, Barnabas. And it means the son of encouragement. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. And having land, he sold it and brought the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's all it says for now. But did you know that later on in the book of Acts, we will meet him as the advocate of the new convert to the apostle Paul in chapter 9. He's instrumental in bringing the Apostle Paul to the Lord. He is the shepherd of the new Gentile converts in Antioch in chapter 11. That's where Christians are first called Christians in Antioch. He's also the one trusted with relief for the poor in chapter 11. And he is the first partner of Paul on his missionary journeys in chapter 13. He shines as one of the most mature reliable and lovable leaders of the early church. And right here in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37, Luke shows us how Barnabas' trusted ministry began. It began with a demonstrated freedom from the love of things and a heart of love for the poor and for God's people. He sold what he had and he gave it to the work of Christ through his church. And in this story, he stands for the way that true faith in Christ creates a bond of love for God and for people and severs the bond of love for things. 
Ananias and Sapphira, on the other hand, stand for the exact opposite. Namely, people who haven't really been changed on the inside by being satisfied with all that God is for them in Christ. But regardless of that, they still wanted to have some position in the visible church. They wanted to be recognized. You see, Ananias and Sapphira were pretenders. They were pretending that they had done something that they had not done. And therefore, they were hypocrites. And I want you to notice that this lie of theirs was rooted in pride. They were wanting to be praised for this this so-called lavish gift. They were wanting to be loved by the people. They wanted a position in the church. They wanted to be seen of men. And you know, Jesus warned against this type of behavior. Because when there's pride in your heart, you are a sitting duck for the enemy. Pride more than anything else makes you like putty in the devil's hands. The apostle Peter, who was there on this day and saw what God did, wrote later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he said, Be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, just wear humility like clothes. And later on in verse 8 of the same chapter, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Church, let me tell you a little secret this morning. There is nothing that puts you further out than the devil seeking than genuine humility. Genuine humility. But on the adverse, there is nothing that makes you more susceptible to the enemy's seeking and his schemes than pride. Because church, when you have pride in your heart, you are sharing the very nature of the devil. It was pride that caused the devil to fall and made the devil the devil to begin with. And you see, the whole point of the story of Ananias and Sapphira was not about the money. They could have come to Peter and said, listen, we sold our land for 500,000 rand and we want to give half of it towards the work of Christ through his church. And we want to keep half of it towards our, our children's education fund and towards our retirement, you know. They could have done that and there would have been nothing wrong with that. But the reason such a powerful example was made out of Ananias and Sapphira was not because God needed the finances. It was because they discredited the Holy Spirit. They were counting the grace and the work of God through His church as a common thing. When you read the story, you wonder to yourself, how could they have been so blind? Didn't they know that they were lying before God? And that he knew every thought in their mind and he knew the intentions of their hearts. I mean, what were they thinking? Maybe at that moment, they didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was even present in the church. Maybe they didn't even reckon with his reality. They may have simply functioned on a human level and never even thought about the real presence of the Spirit of the living God. Or maybe they believed in his presence in some theoretical way, but just didn't think that he knew the thoughts of their mind. He was there maybe, but he wasn't real. 
He wasn't a person who knew things and felt things and acted in real ways like making people dead. Or perhaps they thought he was there and real, but they, that he wouldn't really punish them. Maybe they had a view of grace that says no matter how conniving and how hypocritical you are, God always tolerates everything. But he didn't. And unfortunately, the Holy Spirit is discredited in similar ways in the church today. Some people come to worship and operate totally on the human level, just enjoying the service, just enjoying the music, or criticizing both, but never ever reckoning with the living presence of God. Some come and give acknowledgement to His presence, but don't really come to terms with the awesome fact that He hears every thought of their mind and sees every imagination of their heart. And others come and convince themselves that the thoughts of their, their minds and the intentions of their hearts are not serious enough to deal with because, well, grace always means tolerance. In each of these cases, the Spirit of God is discredited and demeaned. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 warns that it is possible to insult the Spirit of grace. It says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? This is the warning that Luke puts before us in Acts chapter 5 so that we will fear bringing contempt on the Lord through any form of hypocrisy being a part of the church that Jesus said he would build. Remember, we are the church. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, which means he does not tolerate hypocrisy on the human level that allows the enemy access to the flock. And you see, you are either a defender of the faith or you are a pretender of the faith. Ananias and Sapphira were pretenders. Pretending to be something that they were not so that they could gain credibility and, and status and recognition while still holding on to their things but it led to death. Barnabas was different. He was a defender of the faith. He was authentic. He was a good steward of what God had given him. He wasn't bound by things. He was free to be all that Christ had called him to be. And if we are to be Christians like Barnabas today, we ought to take some lessons from his life, right? Let's look at that together as we, we start to wrap up this message. Firstly, church, Barnabas did not love money and things. When he sold his field, he did not dream about all the comforts and, and pleasures he was giving up. He celebrated in the freedom of his faith. He dreamed about the good that would be done with his gift and the glory that it would bring to Jesus. Secondly, he did not want to appear more generous than he was. He did not need the approval of man. He had the approval of God. He believed what his master said. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What you saw with Barnabas was what you got. He was real. Therefore, he did not lie. He loved the truth. He could be trusted. 
His integrity became legendary in the early church. And finally, he brought no reproach on the Holy Spirit. He knew that the Spirit was alive and real in the church. And he knew that his every thought was open and laid bare before the Spirit of truth. And he knew that the gift of grace in his life was not the permission of God to keep on loving things, but the power of God and the freedom of faith to run hard after God and to start loving people. And I would say today, let's be like Barnabas and not Ananias and Sapphira. Let's cultivate what we need to cultivate in our lives to produce fruit that leads to freedom and to life. Not poison fruit that leads to, to bondage and to death. And as we take this message to heart today, church, and as we look at what's going on in our world right now, even in our own nation, I would say we need more Christians like Barnabas today. We need more people who are free from the love of things and are unencumbered so that they can be free to love God and people with complete abandonment. We need more Christians who are fearless of what tomorrow holds. Even if the spirit of fear and hatred that is so rampant right now says, I'm coming for you next. We need less pretenders and more defenders of the faith. And we need more Christians who at the personal level love people. You see, we can pray for our nation for days, and we must pray. But if we are not the hands of, and feet of Jesus in this nation and, and on this earth, if we are not meeting people at a personal level, then how will anyone else be set free by His love? How will darkness dissipate? It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can. And we know that is the light of God. And he also said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And I would add to that, it's only the love of Jesus in us that can do that. And church, I want to say to you today that South Africa will survive and it will thrive. The enemy is trying to sharpen a sword against South Africa right now. But God is going to cut the enemy's head off with that same sword. Whatever he's tried to do is going to come back onto his head. And I want to say to every South African, African listening to the message this morning, let us unite together. Let us stand against the forces of darkness. South Africa will survive and South Africa will thrive. Church, would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to say the blessing over all of you. And then we're going to sing the blessing together. And may the Lord bless you, church. May the Lord keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. God bless you all, and we love you very much.